I don't have to tell you things are bad. The air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat. The best things in life are At least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel belt and radios, and I won't say anything. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. This is Freer, the podcast. All right. Let, should we? Maybe we should do a clap to get it going, and then if the clap needs to mark with that as well. Yep. Okay. Uh, who, who can clap? One. Well, we have to clap all at once. Okay. To, one, two, three. Mark. Good. I, I felt like that went great. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> We're off to an amazing start. All right. Well, here we are, guys. Um, this whole thing started a couple of days ago when Johnny and I were having coffee after I was. Um, drugged from a colonoscopy. And we thought, damn it, other people need to hear this. <laughs> Let's call Shane. Yeah, I might have to look into whatever it was they drugged me on because that conversation that day was pretty interesting. I imagine so. I was actually just at Jim Brewer last night. I was there too. Yeah, so you got the whole colonoscopy story yes. where his wife surprised him. Yes. Yeah. Which was bizarre because I literally had a colonoscopy two days ago. Wow. So, what is a surprise colonoscopy for? Uh, a surprise colonoscopy consists of thinking you're going out for ice cream oh, and uh, having your uh, milkshake uh, spiked with the, the what, what would you call it that's going to clear you out? Yeah, the laxative. The like laxative, of course, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I had a drink like two 32 ounces of Gatorade with that stuff mixed in wow, and a couple of pills as well. But I fasted for like three or four days ahead of time. Absolutely the way to go. Right. Less to clear. There wasn't much there. Yeah. yeah. This would be a really interesting thing to get into detail on. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if it were me, I would get a colon cleanse and then do the whole thing. But yeah. 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 You got a local good one. I almost got, I got in kind of an altercation with Jim Brewer. Doesn't surprise me <laughs> what happened. I I paid extra for the meet and greet yeah. at the beginning, and I took a date, so there was two of us. Yeah, and it wasn't super expensive, but it was. I mean, it was like 130 bucks a throw. Yeah, and it said six o'clock, so right. we show up at six o'clock, and they tell us out front, oh, it's actually six thirty. You know, okay, so well, we'll go get a glass of wine and come back. Yeah. So we went and kind of chugged a glass of wine because then we realized we were running late. And sure. we showed up at a few minutes late at 635. And they let us in. But they said, oh, he's not quite ready yet. He'll just be a few minutes. And then they left it, kept us waiting for another half an hour. Wow. So by the time we got back there, it's now, I, the ticket said six. Yeah. And he's now made us wait. And they're, and they're coming back and saying like, oh, Jim's eating. He'll be ready in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the longer I stood there, the more pissed I got. I yeah. just felt like this is really disrespectful mm -hmm. to just leave us standing here. And um, so by the time I got back there, I was like kind of lit up. Yeah. And I let him have it. Yeah. I was like, I was, he was like, do you want a picture or something? I was like, no, actually, I'm, I'm kind of pissed off at you. Yeah. And, um, and he asked me what was going on. And I, I said, yeah, you know, you left us standing out there, you know. 
in the lobby for half an hour while you're eating, blah, 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 and kind of went at him. And he handled it really well. He claimed that he didn't know, mm-hmm. that he didn't know. Nobody told him what time the meetup was. So he, he was basically oh, wow. claiming yeah. whoever yeah. was arranging things is was, where the miscommunication happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had to take him at his word, but it was... Who is Jim Brewer? Oh, who's Jim Brewer? Well, have you seen Half Baked? Do you remember that movie, Half Baked? That's kind of what made him famous. Oh, okay. As like the stoner, like, oh my gosh. Like, you just imagine him. But now he's... Well, I had this whole experience because going in, my buddy bought the tickets because he's like, he loves Jim Brewer and his sense of humor. And I love him too. I really enjoy him. And um, But I was kind of expecting more criticism towards... um, uh, the Covidians yeah. and the whole situation. Yeah. And the the beauty and the medicine, I realized, was that um, what would he have been feeding? So there's like kind of this negative part of me that had a little chip on my shoulder for being one of those that didn't really buy into it and then got ostracized. And then, you know, there's that part of me that goes like, ah, well, give it to him. But really what he did is he showed up and told stories about his family. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that was actually kind of heartwarming. And I was like, okay with it. You were okay with that? I was, yeah. 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 I was disappointed because <laughs> the reason I went is because he does some great stuff. He's got this whole bit in one of his recent stand-up specials about the whole COVID thing. Mm. And it's just brilliant the way yeah. he does it. Yeah. I feel like the comedians are like the most insightful people that we have to look to. And, and with all the stuff that's going on and, and his stand up on it was brilliant and I was expecting more of that I would have been happy to see him literally do the exact thing that I already saw so I'm doing a stand up special totally and I, was, I get that and I was like what's the medicine here because it felt like oh a, a lot of us came there looking for that and he's like yes. you can get that on my special uh-huh. like I want to tell you about my life huh. and I was like oh wow because there was guys like just chugging beers behind us like burping and kind of like and he talks about like the the lustful demonic realm and it's like there's part of these people that are living in that realm yeah even though it's like okay they feel like they have the moral high ground but it's like still what are you feeding into and how can we be critical of a system while not cowering or becoming that which we hate Mm. That that to me is the crux of everything now is uh, how do you not take a burn it down stance on you know pick your poison mm-hmm. right uh, military industrial complex or mm-hmm. you know pharmaceutical government collusion or media government collusion and you know it's I, I yeah I don't think we're better off in ten years if we if we burn it all mm-hmm. down so you know but but it's becoming so hard to you know it's becoming hard for the little guy to see a way to change things Mm -hmm. um, when you know everything is is kind of owned and you know bought and paid for and even the voices that are being heard are um, bought and paid for Mm -hmm. or um, largely yeah yeah or or, or you know the the Allegations of Russian uh, um, 
what uh, chat chat farms, you know, mm-hmm. creating all of these online groups and creating all of this messaging. And it's like, oh man, like I don't know what even is real anymore. Yeah. 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 Now we don't even need Russian chat farms. We have AI. So right. How are those going to be deployed in this ne- next election mm-hmm. cycle by every side? Yeah. Right. It's it's next generation warfare. It's so confusing the way I explain it is like there they used to feel like there were two sides mm-hmm. and you could kind of decide which side you were on or you could stand in the middle. Yeah. And now I feel like it's an octagon. Yeah. So if you're standing in the middle, it's like there is shit coming from eight different directions. Mm-hmm. And it, at any given moment, it's so difficult to tell like yeah. who the enemy is, who's telling the truth, who's yeah. an integrity, who's got. I mean, some of it has become more and more obvious. I think, right. But, well, but it's asymmetric. Right. So yes. It's not this diametrically opposed system of left wing, right wing, same right. bird. Right. Uh, yeah, is yeah. it a Russian troll farm or is it like some when you're fighting right. with somebody online? Who is that? And and even our own perception of what is real. I know I you know YouTube knows what I like and so it feeds it to me. Yeah, and right. then you know three weeks later you find you're like oh I've only had the same thought for three weeks. Wait, <laughs> wait a minute, what's going on here? I have two proposed solutions. My first proposed solution is more or less this, sitting around with friends, having conversations, finding out what people actually think. My second proposed solution is body cams for politicians. Mm. Just think like they work for us. That's interesting. Everybody wants to know. Everybody knows that institutional trust and corruption, you know, are major issues right now. So why on earth not? It's, you know, it's not too expensive. I like that idea. We would know whether or not Tim Burchett really got elbowed in the hallway the other day in Congress. <laughs> and then let the internet sort it out, right? Just yeah. post it, let it be public. People are going to try to um, skew it one way or another, yeah. or overemphasize, underemphasize. But if there's a public record of what went on, then, um, you know, there, there's hopefully a little more truth out there and a little more accountability. That would be amazing. Even seeing when they turn the cameras off, because inevitably they'd, you'd see them turning it off. Yeah. And, mm. you know, military secrets or, you know, that fine. I'm, yeah. I'm okay with that. But is it off for one hour a day or is it off for seven and a yeah, half hours exactly. a day? That would be interesting. That would be interesting. As well. yeah. yeah. If you could see where they were at any given time as well. Mm. Total transparency or at least closer to it. Well, along the the lines of like you talked about that as a solution Mm. what sort of prompted the three of us getting together today was our conversation about what it means to be free Mm. will you talk a little bit johnny about the conversation about about freer and where that comes from and what your concept of that is yeah cut me off if i take it um too far in any particular academic direction especially because you risk getting a lecture um I wrote a paper with a guy named Andrew Seaman um, in 2018, I think, and... He said Seaman. <laughs> we, yeah, we called it the Seaman-White collaboration rather Better than, than the alternative. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, the thesis was just... It was a way of, of thinking about free will in a new way. The problem when you try to talk about free will is what is it you know and i'm talking you know physics and biology here so you're born you're you know a a cluster of genes and um, cells and then you're born into an environment that environment affects you in particular ways where 
does this magic free willer appear from? You know, mm-hmm. what, why do we assume that there's a magic free willer somewhere that all of a sudden, you know, gives increasing um, consciousness mm-hmm. and, and sentience and, and free will to a person as they grow? And then even beyond that, what is it? Is it random? Because random isn't free. Like, what what actually is free will? And, and you know, um, we've got this country that's all about freedom, and it's mm-hmm. not something that anybody's um, questioning. And I think a lot about media effects and, and psychology and, um, you know, behavior control. Uh, anyway, we wrote this paper, and this was Andy's idea and I kind of said hey that's a really cool idea let's put it in a paper he basically said look the Newtonian way that we think about uh, the human brain and about free will is fine but it's antiquated it's an old model Um, so we're talking like billiard ball uh, metaphysics here something happened therefore something else happened or the way that I put it you know you're born into a world and then that world affects you Where's the free will? A plus B equals C. Basically yeah. a linear progression. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very Newtonian. Um, and, and what he said is, let's bring in emergence. Let's bring in, um, which is a, something that grew out of chaos and complexity theory. And to try to be succinct about it, it's just the idea that sometimes something new happens when you have uh, repeating patterns and that new thing is genuinely new. So it's not really predicted by Newtonian billiard ball physics. Um, and so the example we talked about um, is birds. Uh, you can do a beautiful simulation of a flock of birds by having one bird and you give the bird three um, priorities, you know, stay at least as far away from the other birds, move toward the center of mass, you know, avoid objects by this much. And then if you if you replicate that a thousand times and put that in a simulation with some objects or whatever else you need, you get the beautiful complex swirling problem uh, or behavior mm-hmm. of a flock of birds. But that's you, amazing. Yeah, but you you would never know that was going to happen from looking at one bird, mm-hmm. and that's the point of emergence. Something. Um, that is repeated uh, often enough uh, can turn into something new that has its own kind of properties. And so what we said about free will is, look, when you look at the way the human brain processes information, a tiny bit of what we, um, of what happens in there is stimulus coming in, the sights, the sounds of the world, the smells, what have you. And then like 90 you know, 99% of the activity is those signals pinging around inside the brain. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's free will. Maybe that's consciousness. You know, it's still within us, but maybe all of this pinging around that's happening inside the brain creates an emergent phenomenon that we could call consciousness or Mm -hmm. that we could call free will. Um, And maybe our thoughts matter. Maybe all that processing that's going on in there is part of that um, you know, maybe being able to sit with yourself or, or having realistic models of reality or, you know, um, meditating or ruminating on something. Maybe all of that actually is part of free will and consciousness, which I think we all kind of intuit. But basically what Andy and I did is, is slap a, a physics model on top of it and say, you know, that that might explain it. So in your paper, does it did, did, did you presume that consciousness resides wholly within the brain and body? 
Yes. So there's a spiritual component to the whole discussion, isn't there? Very much so. Whether or not, uh, when as soon as you talk about free will, is that all happening within the confines of your three-dimensional body, or are you something greater than your three-dimensional body that's coming into play, and or is there something outside your three-dimensional body and being that's interacting with those little cells that are flying around in your brain? And I'm, I'm good with that, and I'm not necessarily going to use it to negate the paper. Um, well, to even have a discussion, you have to draw some parameters somewhere, right? Yeah. To write a paper or have a discussion. There you go, yeah. And, and so I agree that there's wacky stuff. Well, I was introduced to magnetic fields by you, you know, six years ago, Um uh, there are a few good books on this. There's uh, all the government stuff that's coming out now, the men who stare at goats type stuff that mm-hmm. might have more credence than anybody actually thought. Sure. Um, so sure, I, I I I buy it that there's more going on um, than than we would traditionally think if we think that our rea- or that that Johnny ends at the end of these fingertips. Um, uh, you know, how does that tie into the free will theory? I don't know. It, it, what we have is is a messy, it, it's a good enough theory anyway. But well, yeah, I'd, I'd love to flesh that one out and then add in, um, you know, whatever's happening in this room, yeah, right? Are, are we affecting each other on some other level? Absolutely. Who knows? Just to kind of before, I want yeah, to hear what you have to say about that, Shane. Is So this is kind of the premise of Freer. Is, is is just the discussion and the exploration of what it actually means to be free, to have, and free will is certainly a part of that. Mm. Um, but then w- what does it mean? How do we define freedom? And how do we each access that for ourselves? And then how does that impact with our larger community and society? Did I get that right? Sure, yeah. And to, to start us off somewhere... Um, the two things that I thought might be important are having models of reality that are as accurate as possible, because if you want to be free, if you want to impact something, you know, if, if we want to convince Shane of something today, we probably need to know how Shane views the world first, yes. right? So, so that gives us additional freedom or power if we understand something uh, about what we're trying to do. Um, and then uh, the second part is just being able to um, sit with yourself in, in whatever you know way or fashion suits you best meditation or journaling or reflection yeah. or, or you know chatting with friends or mm-hmm. playing music you know whatever whatever floats your boat I immediately thought about you Shane when we started having this conversation because I feel like the, the three of us have a I feel like have a commonality mm-hmm. in, in sort of a way that we view the world and our own essence and spirituality and different experiences and skill sets and ways of so the way i think of it is kind of we all we're all kind of i feel like touching the same elephant mm-hmm. when it comes to um, us trying to figure out reality but we're all probably touching slightly different parts of the elephant so yeah i immediately thought it would be fascinating for the three of us what's unique about the two of you is is in my entire life i think the two of you um, are people that i have the most interesting and profound discussions um, with on, on on these kinds of topics, so thank you. So I'm curious what for bringing what, us into the fold. Yeah, I'm yeah. curious what your take Feel is. Feel bad on. for the elephant. <laughs> <laughs> elephant kind of likes it. <laughs> yeah. So this is a very interesting lens in which 
to view freedom. Mm. Um, I loved your example of the model. And for me, in my experience with contemplation and meditation, that model is actually where freedom begins, is at the edge of that model. Mm. So at the edge of all that modeling, where you have the physical dynamics that are challenging us, or we have these spatial preferences, we're moving through time and space. In contemplation, it's the pause before the reaction. It's not the pure reaction simulation. Right. It's going, okay, this is me and my subconscious. Freedom begins when I can pause and pivot. Then I have agency. Then I'm coming from my my center, which is my my place of power, Mm. and affecting my environment, which is then entrainment, right? So we're not talking entropic um, influence. We're talking like negentropic, implosive, like going within centered influence on my environment. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it works for me. And I'm going to get off the model because uh, this isn't about defending that. But sure. it, to my mind, it works for this idea of taking that minute, letting it bounce around inside your head rather than doing the first thing that came to mind, which is what the beer commercial told you to do or what, what your parents modeled for you or whatever. Right. Let's let's take that minute. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah. And it yeah. can even be a moment. Right. If I can just go. Here's the momentum of, oh, get the Cheetos. Wait, <clears throat> what's in that? Art Red 40? Mm. Yeah. I'm going to drink Rad instead. Mm. And yeah, it's, it's 10 times more. brought to you, but... <laughs> That's right. And also, I told the guy at Radio Shack, I'd give him a, uh, a shout out because he did save the day with our USB awesome. uh, device. So it's one of the last Radio Shacks out there. So mm. got to give that local support for, for them. That's cool. Um, so you talked about... So you're talking about that kind of subconscious reaction to living, right? Where we just react automatically. Right. F- probably from our subconscious, maybe from our past, right. from our... you know, Maybe maybe from our traumas. Maybe some people might even believe... Some people might even believe past life traumas or uh, family or even cultural traumas can come into play. Right. But that we have this subconscious that just kind of is on automatic pilot. The click, right. click, were thing right. where we just and kind of. And this is go. why those laws that were protecting us from this deep influence that were thrown away and, you know, by unfortunately Obama. I don't know why he did it, but there were laws against propaganda on American citizens. Right. And I don't really... Wait, so you just went from like subconscious automatic behavior to propaganda. What, well, because me. that's the key. Is like, if I can keep you in a subconscious realm, mm. screen locked, going here, uh, uh, I'm, I'm now operating from an almost automatic dopamine lab rat. Like, okay, I'm getting these chemicals. I'm going here, getting these other chemicals, mm-hmm. and it's it just becomes this lab of where did the free will go? Mm-hmm. Where was that contemplation? What mm-hmm. am I doing with my life? Is it bringing me closer to my bliss? Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's like, okay, these conversations are important. How much influence is acceptable in an environment, 
right? So we have advertisers, we have, and that's all the way from my personal advertising of rad Mm -hmm. (laughs) all the way to these deep some subconscious advertising like whether it's in sports or prison or rap or this type of music you know where i'm in training these deep messages that then are expressed later down the line Mm -hmm. and where was that freedom Well, do you ever wonder, like, do we really have any freedom at all? Or is it even, an, is it an illusion? I think illusion? about that all the time. Absolutely. I, I, I was listening to um, Rob, Robert Edward Grant, and he was talking to his latest interview. is really interesting because they talk about divinity, right? Like that we're almost living backwards through time, and it's already happened. Mm. And so we really can't do anything wrong. This is all part of the lesson. Hmm. This is all meant to be, hmm. which is, I mean, comforting to some, yeah. disempowering to others, and it's a discussion. So, so does that mean that they're within that model that they, that we don't have free will? Correct. Yeah. So it's already happened. The movie's already. It's already. Yeah, we're just playing it the out. Movie's already in the can. Yeah, we're just playing it. And that's the predominant view in philosophy, by the way. Um, Everybody kind of says, "What you know? Why are you making this messier than it has to be? Um, you know, just accept that. Um, yeah, that all signs are po- the, the argument I made at the beginning, right? You're you're this creature. You're born into the world. The world affects you. Your genes affect you. Why are you inventing something magical to, you know, um, throw it into the pot? What was the what was the repeal on propaganda um, legislation? Because I agree with all of this profoundly, and I think even, you know, yes, there's the there's the things that people are doing intentionally. Hey, let's advertise for Cheetos. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the things that are happening unintentionally. I know, like I I had a period where I was very stressed, and I was glued to TikTok and I just I had to even driving I had to flick to another TikTok Mm -hmm. video so that I wouldn't think Um, and I I believe that that's becoming a lot more the norm because what used to what used to give us the dopamine or the you know uh, oxytocin uh, Mm -hmm. you know connecting with another human being having a deep conversation that's been replaced by likes um, and, you know, uh, follows and, and online status, which is very crystal clear. Um, but if everybody's going around and every conversation you're having, you're thinking about, you've got the, the second channel of your brain thinking about, okay, can I turn any of this into something yeah. that will get likes? Then you're not really there at all. Yeah. I, I mean, that happened to me about five years ago. I was on a hike thinking about, oh, I'm going to get this perfect shot. Mm. And I was thinking about, like, looking for I'm like, wait, why am I actually on this hike? Am I here to enjoy Mm -hmm. it for myself? Or am I just a content Mm -hmm. provider for my quote-unquote audience? And um, that didn't feel genuine. Mm. That didn't feel like the thrust of my soul was launching me up that mountain. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to see the glory of like how the light is hitting the clouds. And all that was lost because I do love doing that. Yeah. And I have had those moments where I have been um, pulled up the mountain mm-hmm. by that deep 
Yeah. yeah, my experience is that's almost been lost, and maybe it's just for me personally. I think, it, but I think it's for a lot of us. Even if I leave my cell phone in the car and I go for a hike, it's like my whole brain is just wired so differently now mm-hmm. than pre-technology, than when we were kids and we were hiking up those mountains with our backpacks. You know, um, I, I do that too, too. I'll leave it, and I notice my synchronous synchronicity factor is probably increased by at least ten. When you leave your cell phone. Leave my cell phone because then I'm actually in the environment. You're more in tune. Like where am I if I'm half here, my intention's here, I'm thinking about whatever. Mm. Dude, I got addicted to Instagram. I knew I was addicted to it and I still couldn't. I finally had to delete the app from my phone. So now if I want to go, I have to go into a browser. Mm -hmm. And even when I'm done with it, I close the browser to make myself... And the first three days after I deleted the app, I literally had moments where I caught myself in the middle of the act of going to try to find the app to open it up. Hmm. Like automatically. Right. automatically. It's ter- terrifying. Yeah. So, yeah. I knew I was addicted to it. I was going through some little bit of stress and like some depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I would sit there and doom scroll. And I would say to myself, Blake, you're doom scrolling yeah. right now. This is not good. This is not healthy. And I would still do it. It was we- it was like being a heroin addict and watching myself put the needle in my arm, knowing it's killing me. Right. And I couldn't. I I went through a, a long period where I was like, "This is a real problem. I can't seem to stop this." Yeah. Even though I know it's bad for me, so deleting the app, even that has been a little bit of um, freedom. But it took a few days. Yeah, and and like that's where the freedom comes is like that personal choice, right? So it's interesting where we talk about intrinsic freedom versus extrinsic or applied freedom so like if if someone told you you couldn't use instagram how would that feel like that wouldn't feel like freedom right so it's an interesting discussion of like where so when someone's looking out for our good right and they're creating these boundaries that doesn't feel like freedom but when we when it comes from within, it does. Right. Mm. So right. I'm like, okay, how does this enter the, into the conversation? To me, that's the 1984 dystopia versus the Aldous Huxley Brave New World dystopia. Mm. Yes. And I, I always yes. thought Aldous Huxley was way closer. Mm. Um, really? Oh, where people want to be, they want to be distracted, oh, they want to be slaves. Yeah, you know, yeah. they up for their medicine. Yeah, yeah. and they. They, you know, don't make me think, right? Mm-hmm. They, they just, they just want happiness and entertainment. Yeah. Like what you said about synchronicity. I have this great uh, friend, John Hampsey, um, English prof, sixties, and he will walk up to people and he'll just be like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> a- and you, it's kind of a game for him. So, uh, example: we were playing tennis. This girl is walking by on her cell phone. Hampsey's getting the balls from like the side of the court. Uh, and he goes, hey, who are you talking to? <laughs> and, and she's through a fence walking past on the sidewalk being brusquely interrogated by a, a dude in his 60s. And she's like, my boyfriend. And he's like, tell him to come play tennis. <laughs> and, uh, and she's like, sorry. And he's like, do you play tennis? You guys should come play tennis. And she was like, I was just saying to him that we should come play tennis. Half an hour later, they're at the tennis court. And wow. we're... You know, he's making friends with them. And he does this. We go swimming uh, in the ocean on Sundays. He always has to ask somebody to watch our gear. It's Mm -hmm. utterly unnecessary. But he likes to to make people accountable 
for what they're doing. He just likes to walk up to them, and then it's like a fun game for him to see if he can make friends with them after um, going on the attack initially. Do you think he was always that way, or is that something that came, uh, with, came with I've, I've met enough of his family. Like, they're they're an interesting bunch. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I just... And I think the rewards are there. I think it's hard to put yourself out there. He's very extroverted. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it, it works. It's a it's a great way of going through life. Um, so... You know what I, that brought to mind was I saw an image yesterday of a neuron trying to find another neuron mm. and make that connection. That neural network. The neural network. And it mm. feels like what's happened is there's these lanes of neural mm-hmm. networks. Mm-hmm. And I when I, I remember traveling without a map mm. and being lost. Mm-hmm. And I would ask someone and yeah. and it was like it was like this fun way to like yeah. Yeah. reach out, yeah. get to know people, get to know like some local oh yeah. The good spots. And that feels like the the neural network expanding, mm. connecting, weaving together, creating mm. community, mm. creating connection, trading information. Right. Whereas if you're following the recommendations of one celebrity on Instagram as you mm-hmm. travel throughout said foreign country, you're just following that same, you're embedding those same neural tracks into yourself or you're following the same pathways through the city. You're not branching into anything at all yeah um, and it's it's like there's 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 always the yin and yang right so the benefit of what's going on of these like highly concentrated neural networks is mm-hmm. it's like it's almost like they're fiber optic mm-hmm. the messages are clear they're boom we get them they go in deep but they're not as wide they're not diverse they're not um, uh, decentralized yeah mm. Yeah. Do you, are you a fan of Joe Dispenza? Yes. Is that where you were, you saw the neural network? Because he, he has some uh, close-up images of... So my, it probably was like a secondary post yeah, of someone yeah. who saw his... Yeah. Are you fans of are you a fan of Joe Dispenza? Sure, Johnny? yeah. yeah. I, I haven't gone deep. Um, yeah. but, he, he, uh, he talks about this concept of the neural network that we form through habit through oh. habit daily, yeah. right? And that um, if we get up in the morning and we get out of bed on the same side and we brush our teeth with the same hand and et cetera, et cetera, drive to work the same way, that that's basically solidifying that neural network. And that after a certain number of years, we're on autopilot. Yeah. Mm. It's just autopilot. Exactly. And that we're not really and that brings up the question, are we free within that? I mean, we did yep. make all of those micro choices, but we did it habitually so many times that it now becomes completely subconscious behavior. Well, so this brings us back to freedom and responsibility and the energy it takes to be free. Energy for sure, right? Because if you don't, I heard this great concept the other day that I'd never heard of that. What if we human beings were designed to be sort of on autopilot? Mm-hmm. Um, unless we decide to take agency over ourselves mm. and then take basically put the control on manual mm-hmm. and fly the plane that is us ourselves. Yeah. Right. I, th- I think that's a great, we're all non-player characters yeah. uh, until we decide to do otherwise. Right, like free guy. Yeah. And then yeah. Unless we decide to take agency and break out of that, the matrix. Yeah. I had this um, thought yesterday and and this is taking it a little far but you look at the people who we attend to on social media you know be it Dispenza or you know pick your favorite celebrity 
you have to wonder, you know, they all have such different backgrounds. They all have different stories. It's not that any one of them is, it's not that these are the hundred most beautiful or the hundred most intelligent or the hundred most eloquent, you know, they're all different. And so is there a way for any one of us Mm. um, to, you know, optimize our existence or to, to, uh, you know, self-actualize it if you want or, or, you know, find that now I'm talking, I guess I'm talking status and riches, um, as opposed to, um, just living in harmony with the universe. But <laughs> you, you kind of wonder, like, is that an option for any one of us? Cause it seems so unlikely that Temple Grandin would be one of these people mm-hmm. alongside mm-hmm. Jim Henson, alongside Marie Curie, right. Mm-hmm. Alongside mother Teresa, you know, pick, pick anybody you want. They're, they're all so different. So your question is, is that something that's achievable by anyone or? Are I, I don't know. Is, is it just, you know, as long as you never give up, you know, yeah. you'll get there eventually and you'll, your stories of, of trying to make it will mm. just be the stories of some celebrity who made it, you know, um, I, I don't know. I just, I think I was listening to like Ryan Reynolds on Smartless or something and, you know, he just drove to LA, you know, and, uh, got out of his car and you know walked into and and just you know just didn't give up there's the Stallone stories right Mm -hmm. of him yeah um, living in his car Mm -hmm. and selling his dog and you know tons uh, of those stories right for every Stallone how many Steve do you have so that's the question and 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 my question is did did all the Steves give up and Sylvester didn't. Steve's a close friend of mine. Is he? He, he lives in Austin. He's still <laughs> still auditioning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He got an Amazon series. Well, I wonder if his if his if his story will it's have the funny same that you use that because he's literally he's the because uh, I was an actor uh-huh. and a writer right. in Hollywood yeah, and there was a whole right. group of us and Steve is the only one who's still stuck with it. Stuck. Stick still, with it, Steve. Stick with it, Steve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. And he gets, you know, he's gotten some really good roles, some yeah. breakthrough roles. And it just feels, but and it still feels like any yeah. day he's going to hit yeah. that. But I dig what you're saying, Shane, which is, which, yeah, is it a, um, what are they, a success bias? Like we only see yeah. the ones that succeed. Right, sure. Therefore, we think that that's the key when really the ratio is a million to one, a million Steves to one Sylvester. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I, I had my own foray in Hollywood. You and, did? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, so I guess we all have that in common. Mm. Johnny used to work for Robert McKee. Okay. Yeah. The guy who wrote story. Yeah. Scrooped mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. I, I, I worked for Todd Lent. He was like one of the top eighties in Hollywood. Well, like non, non-union commercials and you were behind the camera. Yeah. I wanted to be in front of it and I did get my chance. I got, um, but only when it was turned off. Right. Um, I got a, someone from WB and they wanted me to go in and et cetera, et cetera. But what I realized when I was working, I realized I enjoyed behind the camera more. Mm. And then I, I remember being on, I think it was a Paramount lot. We were, we were filming like a Mercedes Benz commercial. Mm-hmm. And it was this beautiful young couple, beautiful child, serene scene. I'm like, okay, what am I actually contributing to? What am I being complicit to? Mm. For, for every happy little family that we're showing... How many people feel like, oh man, you know, me, what, they're thinking about their divorce. Mm-hmm. They're thinking about how their family is inadequate. 
Right. You're and, motivating the dad to leave the kid behind and go to work so he can one day own a Mercedes and have that happy feeling of a happy family. Right. Because I'm yeah. selling a feeling. Yeah. Right. So it's yeah. like, well, can I just hyperlink to the feeling and like create that loving connection? And so anyways, yeah, that's when I think about like celebrity stuff. I'm like, hmm, been there. Yeah interesting but not that interesting i'm more like oh what's about bodhisattva vow can mm. we like actually eliminate suffering from all sentient beings like can we work on that and i i do respect people that are motivated and they have a goal and they want to like crush and like be their highest um you know form that's wonderful mm. but where do i stop and you begin mm. And finding that edge is like now we're talking about freedom. So that's why I wanted to find the edge of like when I'm feeling it for myself, mm -hmm. it's freedom. But when someone else um, tries to put that on me, it feels like oppression. Mm -hmm. But how can I entrain freedom by being the example of what that looks like, what that looks like to pause and truly respond from love, breaking the chain of exploitation and pain and anger and suffering and trauma and like attachment to the past. It's like, ooh, can I <sighs> be present? Mm. And it's like, that's way cooler than a celebrity. Mm. Like I've played football with Robin Thicke. I, I was helping Michael J. Fox, you know, like I was the guy who didn't care who the celebrity was. So they mm -hmm. put me in charge of like talent, They're like, mm. oh, go wrangle the talent and I'm like, cool, I don't watch You TV. were going to be trying to take selfies the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. You were working as an AD? Well, in what capacity were you working? Uh, second, second. Second, second AD. Yeah, yeah. So wrangling talent for Ted. So you were legendary. an assistant to the assistant director. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you always start as a PA. Yeah, I did some PA work. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, they say you start at two different spots in Hollywood. You either start as a PA or as a director. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and we called actors movable furniture. <laughs> so you started as a PA? Yeah. And then worked your way up to being yeah. a second AD? Yeah. Wow. Well, second, second. Not... Second, second. Yeah. So I wasn't... I, I had an opportunity to make the leap, but at that point I had my existential crisis. Interesting. Yeah. How old were you at that time? I was in my 20s, like mid-20s. Uh -huh. And you yeah. just felt like, what am I a part of here? Yeah. Yeah. It just, it didn't feel right. I, because I, you know, I learned about Edward Bernays. Um, you're familiar. Oh, yeah. 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 Can Deeply. you? Yeah. Sigmund Freud's nephew, um, father of public relations. Um, there, there's a good documentary called The Century of the Self yes. that I'm going to parrot. Um Cigarette companies uh, came to him and said, look, we're, uh, we're selling to half of the market. Only men are smoking. He said, okay, let me work on this. Got some female celebrities. Um, let it spill to a bunch of reporters that people were going to be lighting freedom torches during the Macy's Day Parade. Everybody's going, what are freedom torches? What are freedom torches? What are freedom torches? Uh, number one female celebrity steps out of her car, lights up a cigarette. All the mm. other paid female celebrities step to light up the cigarette yeah. Yeah, yeah wow and then all of a sudden smoking is a, a female empowerment movement wow. and mm -hmm. they've doubled their market share they were on almost every single front page from coast to coast without having to drop a dime wow now talk about being controled as mm -hmm. a culture right yeah. they the, literally killed how many 
people by getting them hooked on cigarettes. Countless. How many women? Right. But he had so much insight. The other one I loved is the uh, cake mix story. Oh, yeah. um, cake mix was not selling well. They were like, what's going on? We, we got all the ingredients. We dried out the milk, dried out the egg. All you have to do is add water. Super easy. Um, you know, why isn't it selling? They brought in Bernays. Um, Bernays, you know, did his thing and, and concluded, you need to let the women put in an egg. That's right. Um, so the, why, the the woman who's cooking the cake doesn't feel like she's made it if she just adds water. Wow. But you let her put in an egg, you know, maybe there was milk too. Uh, wow. And, and now she felt that she's cooked it. And you can think of that on two levels. One, wow. it's like yeah. she's done a little more work, but then take that to the symbolic level yeah. and, you know... Well, how much is that an analogy for our entire culture and being along the subject of freedom? You know, how much of our whole lives are they're just allowing us to add the egg in the milk? Mm, right. Oh, yeah, you're doing this. Good That's job. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. Well, and and what actually just occurred to me is like if you were to re-release that product today, yeah, you wouldn't have to add the egg. I don't know that people care as much anymore if it's homemade. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, if you're gonna buy it from a box, just add water, mm. and I, I and I think that would sell today versus the the add an egg. I feel like there was a more active role. Mm-hmm. Those maybe that the facade of the the work, the cultural image of the, the homemaker was the woman that was in the kitchen and she was right, and that 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 paradigm has has completely mm. shifted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So suppose we all do take the Bodhisattva vow. I want to get back to this because Blake went back to the AD conversation. I was like, no, yeah. dude, you're taking it the was, wrong direction. I, well, I was curious, I was curious <laughs> about his... Uh, um, that's why we have plenty of time. We could yeah. go all down all these cul-de-sacs and then come back to the main highway. So if we all um, embody that, we all take our minute to pause, we all take our minute to be... What happens? Do we run out of things to do? Do we all just go meditate and nobody procreates and everybody's happy and, you know, we're, we're arranging, um, uh, you know, pieces of colored pieces of sand into mandalas? Like, does, does, does the game end or, or does it keep going if, if, if everybody adopts that mindset? Yeah, I can't pretend to know the answer okay. to that. Um, what I would love you to could, you could pretend uh, to know the answer. True, true. I choose. <laughs> but for what? I, choose, I have he the freedom to choose not <laughs> to, to uh, pretend to know the answer to that. Um, yeah, because yeah, it's so transcendent that anything that I would I would be able to form into language would mm. not do it justice. Mm. And for me, it's almost the beginning. We haven't even begun. That's where we're at. Mm. I feel like we're back to an emergent phenomena, right? If everybody could um, adopt that, then we would have to interact with each other under those new conditions exactly. and, and see what would happen. Is there a crossover between what the two of you are saying with you taking your moment of pause? Because you're, you're saying that you find freedom within that moment. Am I, am I hearing that correctly? Yes, yeah, so the agency to choose... Is, is when I take a step back mm-hmm. from my autopilot mm-hmm. and go, hmm, yeah, I have some options. And coming, and I choose to come from love. I could co- choose to come from wrath. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, 
this mofo, yeah. like like what happened to me in Amsterdam, I was held at gunpoint, and there was choices. I took a moment because I, I had acting classes, right? And I was like, "Are you seriously trying to mug me in public right now?" And he's like, "Yeah, give me all your money." And so he flashed his gun because he was trying to sell me drugs. I was like, "I don't need anything you have." Prostitutes? No, don't need it. And I was like, kind of getting offended. And and then he pulled the gun on me. And there's a woman that walked by. I was like, are you seriously trying to mug me in public? He's like, yeah, give me all your money. And I just cashed the last of my mm. cashier's checks. Mm. And I was, I was like, okay, I got to melt this guy. So I looked straight into his eyes. And I said, do you know who you're fucking with right now? He said, what? I said, do you know who you're fucking with right now? He goes, what? I said, I'm an undercover agent and you just fucked yourself. See those three guys? You're going down. And I, I was more intense than that. That's just sure. like, I was just a little taste. And the guy started shaking. I said, you desperate people make me sick. Get the fuck out of here. And he runs away. Wow. And <laughs> that was the power of freedom yeah. for me. was like, okay, I love floating around like a bodhisattva in my state of peace and love. And sometimes people need a taste of wrath. Yeah. Well, it's arguable that's the most loving thing you could have done. Yeah. Yeah, I could argue it would have been loving to, you know, punch the guy or take him out in that moment. Right. And it's like, how do we discern? How do we cultivate the maturity to discern those things? Because for me, it's very sensitive. Like, I... I don't want to bring that like that. That's not an energy or a neuro pathway. Mm. I want to abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I like what you did, which is to say what I got is, look, man, it's not all rose petals uh, if you walk that way, which which I like. I appreciate. Yeah. 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 I just love that you took it a completely different direction. <clears throat> I don't know that I would have had the wherewithal to take it just some that's like a scene from a movie where the guy has the wherewithal to just just do a, a complete pattern interrupt. It, that's what it was. It was an interrupt. I was like, okay, this guy has to be stopped right now. Hmm. Like, not even give him a centimeter. Hmm. Like, I own you. You're trying to steal money from me? You're pathetic. Hmm. You live a pathetic life trying to shake down people. Hmm. That's not a noble path. Mm-hmm. I will shake you down and shake you to your very foundation until you see God. <laughs> mm, that's good. That's awesome. That's how I felt in the moment. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Wow. Are, there, are there other examples of that? Because again, and, and you know, I've, I've, done, I've done a Vipassana retreat and I'm a fan of meditation and I've studied some of it and you know um did you do the 10 day silent retreat? i did 10 days you did yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that was great yeah yeah it was i, I, I was not difficult it, it was the hardest thing i've ever done in my life oh yeah absolutely yeah absolutely because you're sitting every second you're fighting yourself right you know you get you get a, a moment of serenity but yeah just that that silent scream for 12 hours a day um <laughs> but the the clarity and the uh um a silent scream for 12 hours a day. <laughs> the, um, I wonder if they put that on their marketing uh, brochure. Yeah. 
the solipsism of it was interesting. You the know, what? Uh, well, a few days in, I said solipsism. Uh, I have to Google that. I, it's when you, it's like the brain in a vat thing. How do we know we even exist? Maybe I'm just a brain in a vat yeah. and everything else is a component of me. Yeah. And so the guy who's like sniffling like two rows away, it's like, oh, that's my weakness over there. And uh-huh. the person over there who hasn't, you know, hasn't moved. It's like, yeah, that's my strength over uh-huh. there. Like none of this is real. It's all just... Yeah, you know, in my head, um, yeah, and then and then really lovely clarity at the end of it. And when um, did it become? I mean, you say it's amazing. At what point did it become amazing? At what point did it become amazing to you? Because it sounds like mm-hmm. it was torture for a while. I think it's, I think it's both. I think that the the answer that's coming to my head is like that the evenings when I was done. Um, for the day and, and we would sleep and I think it was only like six hours sleep but they said you didn't need much if you were meditating that much um, I don't, the clarity and and the mind space that you were in at the end of the day was very very pleasant um, you know uh, yeah I don't I, I don't know it, it's all neurochemicals yeah. I guess but it just felt good but, um, but was there a point during the 10 days where you found some peace or solace or was it mostly after you left that you felt like okay that was my, my happy memories are the evenings and after I left and like writing you know writing uh, in, in the back of a yeah. book on the train on the way home like all this tiny text because I had so much to mm-hmm. to get off of my mind so just I don't know. Maybe it's um, maybe it's the neural pathway thing that like my brain had been wanting to see things in its own way, or had been wanting to break into a particular um, set of epiphanies, or had been wanting to take my life in a particular direction. But um, you know, you're so entrenched by your existing thoughts, your day to day conversations, your day to day habits, and so when you do sit you know for 12 hours a day like like you do then um it's a bit of a reset button mm-hmm. like on a on a computer right mm-hmm. sometimes when you hit the yeah. reset button things start working again that's right reboot solves everything that's right so i interrupted your flow because i was no not at all no I'm, I'm what do you want to know well you were do you remember what he was oh i was taking i was taking shane back to bodhisattvas i was saying yeah. what's gonna happen right. i don't know I, I guess i have this sense that like maybe is your thought that commercial society, sort of industrial society, breaks down if people are spending more time to go within and meditate? Is that your thought? No. Um, I guess I, here's what I think is happening. I have decided um, to this point not to become a monk, you know, even though for, for a while there I thought I'd be cool to be a monk. And so I have to justify that somehow. And I think the way I justify it is to say, well, I will bring a little bit of that to my day to day, but I'm Mm -hmm. also going to play the game a little bit and, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, try to do things and have a family and, and this kind of thing. And so I think I, I think I just wanted to give Shane a push and see where he would go. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, and just a forewarning for anyone, there's a really great uh, podcast on the Vipassana and that it's not actually for everywhere, every, everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, there can be, if you have a history of psychological instability, it might not be. 
be a great move. Mm. Might be, um, yeah, you, you obviously come from a very sound place. Mm. Um, but, uh, there's a great kind of, um, there's some research now, like warning. some people lose their shit. Yeah. Mm. And, um, that happens with awakenings, right? Mm. Some people lose their shit during the awakenings. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, yeah. So I think what you're doing is noble. It's like, how do we entrain this peaceful or kind of enlightened state of being while being in the world? Mm. Because that's going to affect the world. Look at mine. I mean, look at what you've done. Your history of like having the goal of bringing a, a mindful company mm-hmm. into the world and, yeah. and shifting, I would say like a whole industry, mm-hmm. like what you did actually paved the way for many businesses mm-hmm. to, to, you know, you're, you're kind of in league with yeah. businesses as I see it. You know, I would love your, well, what's insight. interesting about that. I think that is true with mind body that mind body did help did help pave the way for boutique fitness and wellness businesses. You know, it gave them, it put them on a level playing field with big box gyms. Right. Because people forget that in the late nineties, there was a big box gym on every corner. There was not a yoga studio or a CrossFit studio or spinning studio on every corner. They were, they were very rare. And then, you know, we gave them the tools to be able to, to compete in that market. And then eventually kind of dominate the market yeah. and kill the we've surrounded like, where's the big box yeah. gym i don't know <laughs> yeah some yeah, somebody great. from one of those big box gyms i forget which one it was met with rick at one point he sort of lamented to rick like you guys have surrounded us yeah. you know with the the, two, the the businesses but what's interesting about that i think that is true and i th- it kind of goes back to the concept of freedom because the inspiration for starting mind body was did not come from my brain Mm. and my mind. It came from surrender. It came from feeling like such a loser in my life that I surrendered my mind and my ego and adopted the mantra, show me the way and I will follow. And this thing came up and I just knew intuitively that this, this was the way that was being shown. Mm. My mind and ego resisted it like crazy. Right. So when you talk about freedom or free will, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting thing, too, because yeah. was that free will that I sat down and started that company? Well, so it depends on what level of your being you're speaking from. Mm-hmm. So if you're speaking, you know, this is something I'm regurgitating because I've heard this, that maybe, possibly, you have a higher self. Mm-hmm. And you're tuning in by, so like by entraining and and surrendering Mm -hmm. more able to tune into the will of the higher self. Yeah. And so now that you're aligned with this coherent path, like things Mm -hmm. are lining up and connections are being made. And so it's like this higher free will than just like this. Oh, it's just me. And I mean, even if my body did that, if I was looking out for just one part of my body, it would be a disease. Right. But so now that I'm like tuned into the higher part of myself, I have coherent health, well-being, um, and uh, yeah, that's what comes to mind. And I suppose there's free will. I mean, d- does this intersect with your concept of emergence, Johnny? When I'm saying, show me the way and I will follow and yeah. I feel intuitively something shows up and says, okay, here's the way. And it clearly did not come from my mind. It was something outside of me. Yeah. It feels out. I'll say that it feels outside of my three dimensional self. So this self. is very interesting because when he was talking about your meditation of like being in your, 
your brain in a jar kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. My experience ever since I started drinking, but like 2020, I had like some sort of awakening and I, I was on keto and I was drinking uh, deuterium depleted water, light water, another sponsor. Mm-hmm. And, but seriously, it made me psychic. I was reading a book a day. Wow. I hadn't read a single book cover to cover for the last five years. I was reading a book a day. And what I realized is I had become like the water in my body was so coherent. It was, it was in the fourth phase, you know, Gerald Pollack, Dr. Gerald Pollack talk about the crystalline phase of water and my receiver was clear and I was meditating all the time. I was doing my Tibetan rites. I was basically creating this vessel that could receive messages. Mm -hmm. And for me that, I don't know how that ties in for freedom because it's the higher self freedom and that's a deeper conversation. Yeah. But it's almost like coming at the conversation from the intelligence coming from a cosmic mm-hmm. place and then resonating. I'm the radio or mm-hmm. the receiver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I might, I'm going to try to secularize that to start. Please. And then we can see where that goes. So, um, we are humans and there have been a lot of us before and all of our ancestors are the ones who survived and there are certain things that are you know built deeply into our genes um, there's the idea of the collective unconscious you know which is um, it's a little woo woo but but maybe not you know if, if you just take it as like oh uh, all those you know millions of ancestors you know survive for a reason and there's things that they're able to um, understand or intuit or tune into mm-hmm. and those genes are passed on to you then you don't need to you don't need to invent any magic at all to get there you can you can do pure science and be like yeah well that's all genes expressing themselves within your body let go of the ego stop worrying about yourself so much you know don't be such a fear-based creature and you're able to tune in more deeply to all of that um inherited information mm-hmm. uh, and maybe you're also allowed to tune in more deeply to the people around you your environment uh, and then maybe that is a freer person um, because the you know the pinging that's going on up here is is not going through the fear center as much it's not going through it's more so going through the collective harmony center and, and how do I you know make all of this jive together um if we want to, you, you know, I, I don't know the, the, the fourth phase of water and crystalline receptor and sure. I mean, we're going to keep discovering more things in science, right? That this is, I mentioned heart math earlier, the idea oh, that yeah. the magnetic field of the heart is mm-hmm. electromagnetic, field, at, yeah. you know, at least the size of the house or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, sure. You know, um, yeah, it's, it's gonna, I don't think we've stopped. I don't think we're stopping and being like, okay, we know all the science now. Um, so I'm, I'm fine with it. Um, sure. And I, th- I think that's a deep conversation about how was a lot of this science discovered, right? Albert Einstein would sit there with his pen mm-hmm. trying to weave his consciousness between mm-hmm. conscious and subconscious getting mm. inspiration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Was it Isaac Newton who was in, someone was inspired by an angel? Mm. Um, like the, the, there's these things. That's Blake Beltram. That was actually Blake. <laughs> I, I, I was well. inspired by an angel too, for <laughs> yeah. real. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. right. So it's, yeah. yeah. Wow. 
Yeah. And so like, okay, this brings me to my next question is which in my mind, freedom, you can't have freedom without responsibility. Okay. And so in a society that for me, like growing up and almost looks down on suffering, like suffering is a bad thing, like working hard. The, like the easy way, right? right. Oh, I want to do the four easy hour work way. week. Yeah, four hour work week, right? The quick fix, mm-hmm. and um, and um, the responsibility. So, like uh, our our legal system, right? Where uh, it kind of promotes victim consciousness. Which, if you study, I've, I was like, I've, you know, hero with a thousand faces, mm-hmm. Joseph Campbell. Yeah. This book has been sitting on my shelf for 15, 20 years. Jill gave me another copy. And I was like, fine, I'll read it. I'll read it. <laughs> and I got to, I, I, because I've been starting it and stopping it and forgetting where I was in the book and then returning to it. And I finally really read it. And in the second chapter, it talks about the victim archetype. Hmm. And what is the victim archetype? It is something that happens when we do not respond to the call. Mm, right. And so when the hero doesn't respond to the hero's journey. Right. right. And then we become the victim. So mm-hmm. when we're stuck in this victim consciousness, we have to go like respond to the call. There'll be a dark forest, pain, mm-hmm. suffering, responsibility. These we're, we're taking life on. Right. Not just running to the cave which has its place and probably mm-hmm. in, in consciousness and in training consciousness, much respect. But also there's, there's a whole another archetype of the hero mm-hmm. who wants to bring this insight, this transcendental insight, right? So that's apotheosis is when the hero faces death, certain death, Ooh. and still does the right thing. Right. Gandalf on the bridge. Yes. Right. And that's look at you want to talk about freedom of choice Mm -hmm. making like taking that stand going this is where we stand Mm -hmm. this is where i die Mm -hmm. this is where i'm willing to die yeah wow yeah that is the ultimate power isn't it Mm -hmm. so you were talking about the victim so you're talking about jonah and the whale is a story from the bible right Mm -hmm. god called on jonah and jonah did not want to heed God's call so he ran away and that's when you know God basically followed him and they threw him overboard and he was in the belly of a whale for three days etc etc so that's what happens when you don't follow that call so that's I guess victim I never really thought of Jonah as being um, victim but yeah so it's not like a Gilgamesh where you're going out in you know chasing your adventure and the monster and the thing Mm -hmm. And it's been a while since I've revisited that story, but you know, not like your traditional, it's like, no source, God, Mm -hmm. divinity wants you to transmute Mm -hmm. into this, your, yourself, your higher version of yourself. And so we're going to be the victim until we turn around and face the shadow. I, I struggle mightily with that. I struggle mightily with that. And it's interesting because when the call came, you know, to start mind body, it it was clear to me and it took me down this path for several years. But then you get through that and then you, you know, I find myself back at the same intersection again, Mm -hmm. multiple times through my life. Okay, now what? Now what? (laughs) What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to go, you know, so, so. This is an interesting question. It's like when 
when are you going back for that second tour of duty or third tour or are you retired you know mm-hmm. uh, you know like are you still willing to show up because the world needs more heroes mm-hmm. the world needs us to show up and how do you think one discerns that call you have to listen to the call like the the call will tell you mm-hmm. right that's why the entrainment that's why the meditation the mm. the getting tapped into source whatever that is for us whether mm-hmm. dancing making love going into nature whatever's going to create that coherent entrainment so mm-hmm. we can listen because if we're not listening then we're just responding to stimulus yeah so okay so the practice the the practice you know living mindfully or meditating or whatever you could see it as being primarily about being able to listen to, for the call because mm-hmm. I had the same question as Blake which is like alright where's my call I'll do it you yeah know, no problem you know sign me up where's the neon sign yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly um, yeah. Does it? Yeah. Does this? Enter, I just. It's. It's so interesting. You know where we started with your paper. Mm. Was free or the title of your paper? No, it was teledynamic emergence signals free will. Wow. Yeah, I'd go with freer. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you. But you brought up freer in the conversation. Maybe. Yeah. Um. I, I was working on a... I have a 55,000-word book draft um, for a book called Freer. Okay, that must yeah. have been... And that was actually where my company grew out of uh, oh. trees, was the idea. I, I was working with all these different concepts, and one of what I found in writing this book was that um, I would share drafts of it with people, and they would say, oh, I, it, it was kind of a book of advice on how to be more free... Um, especially in the age of, of digital um, inundation and had a lot of tips about, you know, interpersonal relationships and media use and cell phones and reading and classics and all that kind of stuff. And basically people would read it and they would go, oh, I really like that bit on page 55. And I'd be like, cool, cool. What about the rest of it? And they'd be like, <laughs> uh. I'd be like, oh, next, bro. oh, I really like that bit on page 110. Oh, I really like that bit on page 22. So there was some different piece that spoke to different people and I thought okay fair enough a book is a bad delivery mechanism for advice Mm -hmm. Um, wouldn't it be better if I could find out a little bit about each of these people and I studied psych so I was thinking personality habits demographic situation and then I could find out which piece of advice worked for them and then anytime anybody wanted the advice that was best going to work for them all they would have to do is fill out a questionnaire uh, and we would use a ranking system, uh, you know, machine learning to get the mm. right thing to the right person at the right time. So we built it for university students. And, and that's, that's my and business. That now. was the birth of trees. That was the birth of trees. Does, I have two a couple of questions for you. The mm. first is, does trees feel like a calling to you, a spiritual calling? Mm. The next thing I'm curious that I, I, I would love to hear from both of you and then I can weigh in as well. Like what, what is your, what does freedom mean to you? And what does freedom feel like to you? Does trees feel like a calling? Um, on the best days, yes. Uh, I actually wrote Dan Pink uh, an email at one point. Uh, do you know who that is? No. Oh, he, he's written a bunch of good books uh, to sell as human. And um, 
anyway, he, he's a public intellectual and he was very generous in his response. And he kind of said like, yeah, dude, like I, I wrote him and I was like, look, I, I get what you're saying with all of your like inspired, you know, talk and I dig it. And I've, I've you know, I've bought a bunch of your books, but like, really like isn't it mostly just a slog and he's like oh yeah it's mostly just a slog <laughs> so you know he's like keep going you know the world needs good shit and and it was like all right yeah. um and i felt good about that because if that's true for him who's you know quite established and you know far down the road of of being a public intellectual mm-hmm. then it's like all right i guess that's, that's just it it's it's the suffering it's entering the forest where it's darkest yeah. so most days for me are like, okay, I need to, I need to try to set up, you know, more sales and I need mm-hmm. to, you know, yeah. talk to another investor or try to talk to another 20. Um, you know, I need to deal with, uh, this contractor who has, who's not doing anything and I need to get this person on a program and we need to get this grant. in. Yeah. so no, it's not. And, and what would freedom be to me? I don't know, man. I mean, to some extent it. I think it is freedom to like choose your suffering um, and to do to suffer in a way that's meaningful to you. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. uh, yeah, it's the trouble with being high on openness. Um, speaking of personality measurement, is that like you have a different idea every day. I mean, mm-hmm. here we are spending a few hours doing this, and it's like, well, shouldn't I be slogging away on my business? It's like, no, I want to do a podcast. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, no good answer to the second part. About, but what does it feel like? So, so the, you answered the first part of the question. The second part is, what does freedom feel like? And to me, it's just space to think. Um, hmm. You know, it, I do my best thinking. You know, maybe on a trail run or, um, uh, you know, in the ocean or uh, just being able to. Like, I I know when my brain is working on something, and mm-hmm. as long as I can go take a minute with it um, and maybe write it down or, or, you know, do a voice memo. I'm happy. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't like it when I have, when I'm so boxed in by things that, that are in control of my time, even Mm -hmm. if I've subscribed to them willingly. um, I don't like it when I'm, when I'm not able to, um, I suppose, take my moment in my own way. Mm -hmm. Um, So time and space. Yeah. For you. Yeah. Profound, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, works. Any thoughts on what do you think, Shane? What does freedom mean to you? Mm. Freedom, it's so important that I uh, get a little nervous even answering it. Like, freedom for me feels so important. Mm. Um, it's it's this it's almost like this creative spark mm-hmm. it's like the opening in the chamber um, without the opening there is no ability to create the fire and it's uh, for me like what almost like it helped clarify that thought when you were talking about the the space it's almost like the opening the space to be me, to be authentic, mm. to be wrong, to be right, mm. to be silly, to fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and um, like, wow, okay. Then if, then I feel some sort of ownership. Because mm-hmm. I think about um, freedom also as in um, not necessarily being dependent. 
but also not being so independent that we're divorced. So it's like this interdependence, but also enough space to show up how I feel like I want to and can show up in that moment. Mm -hmm. And can you, can you talk about how it feels? How does it feel to be free? It might be interesting to talk about in terms of um, what it feels like to not be free versus what it feels like to be free. Right. And so this is, this is um, an interesting question because I can't decouple freedom from responsibility because mm. in my mind, I want to, I'll be like, Oh, freedom feels so expansive. And it's mm. just like the universe, bro. Mm. And real freedom feels like growing a garden, which is kind of a pain in the butt. Mm -hmm. Real freedom means like showing up for your buddies when you can because you made space in your schedule and you've got some days off like it's like freedom for me is it's um like the reality of freedom and the idea of freedom go into interesting dynamics almost spiritual dynamics because mm -hmm. you have the um spiritual um form of like kind of fake freedom which is lucifer mm -hmm. right so you're trying to outshine god mm -hmm. you're trying to be separate and so individual mm. that it becomes this obsession mm. and so it's almost like there has to be this heart within it and this love and this connection for me to mean like be meaningful freedom because mm. you can be free in a desert yeah. wandering around doing nothing having no opportunities is that meaningful freedom mm. right and so um and then obviously not having freedom um for me feels very anger inducing um very restrictive very um oppressive and actually really short-sighted because you look at how much invention happened in America because the amount of freedom mm. and the amount of innovation. And our innovation has gone down mm. because I think the level of freedom mm. and support for freedom isn't quite what it was. And so, yeah, those are my thoughts. Would it work to say that it's about the freedom to choose which call to answer because you tied in responsibility and answering the call burdens you with responsibility of course right. um, but you want to be able to choose which thing right you're taking on I just I like I never thought of that um, the hero's journey in that in those terms before um, yeah. and I like like parsing it up like okay Yes, I'll take that call. Mm, no, not my call. Sorry, call the fire department. Right. <laughs> not my department. Right. Yeah. Right. And I mean, it's a nice, maybe it works well as a system because we've got all these different people and everybody can choose a different call to answer. But as long as they are, to the extent that they are choosing well, right. something that vibes with who they are, yeah. um, something that they feel called to do for whatever reason, um, then we can solve a lot of problems, answer a lot of calls, you know, grow, evolve. We can still have that freedom, but we're also still getting shit done. Yeah. Um, because yeah. that I, I agree with the freedom, you know, freedom equates responsibility portion. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because right as you were saying, I like even responding as a firefighter. Yeah. Well, shit, if my house is on fire, 
I become a firefighter. Right. Like in that responsibility that that goes within my bubble mm-hmm. of responsibilities. Like someone else's house on fire that's in a different state. Mm-hmm. Sorry, bro, can't help you. Yeah. I wish you the best. If if this is your phone's about to die and I'm the last person you called, I'll call the fire department for you. Right. Like I'll take on that response. Like I have the freedom to choose to take on yeah. that responsibility. Mm. And so it's like there's this this interesting membrane around like these spheres of influence and spheres of responsibility and what we choose to include and what is innately our responsibility. Mm. I suppose that's the problem with something like war is, you know, we would all be saying, okay, sure, we'll answer that call. Like if, if, if somebody is genuinely, um, you know, attacking the village, then you're like, okay, yeah, let me, let me see what I, let me see what hard objects I can rustle up and Mm -hmm. we're going to answer that call. But nobody is really getting to listen, um, because the, the need is already so pressing. Um, so you probably get less, innovation less selective answering of the call or something like that Hmm. yeah that's that's a that's a whole other can of worms yeah because you have i think special forces say slow is smooth smooth is fast Hmm. and so when you are operating you don't necessarily want to go fast Hmm. because fast is sloppy you Hmm. make mistakes Hmm. and so sometimes we do get pressed into these situations and we're like how did we end up in iraq and afghanistan Mm. and spend all these trillions of dollars yeah and and where are we now where are they now more like more Mm -hmm. importantly okay okay yes we burned a bunch of money a bunch of people got rich Mm -hmm. but what about the people that are living there and it's completely unstable it's it's worse i don't know if it's it's like not my place is safe it's worse actually Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. But it is amazing how disconnected we can be from those wars in yeah. a time in history where we're more connected than ever. Yes. That Ooh. is, that's key. That tells you something right there. Right. Why are we not tuned in to what's going on in those places, well, to what life is yeah. like, to what the impacts of the actual human beings right. is there? I have my theory on that. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> yeah. I think we're probably in the same boat on that. Yeah. What does freedom feel like for Oh yeah, how are you? How are we doing? We're good. Um, I think you know what's interesting is hearing the two of you answer the question. I notice myself feeling calmer and more expansive as the two of you were answering the question. Probably something around the like the heart math uh, mm. that I can feel the electromagnetic signal from your hearts, and as I felt you guys go into it and sort of enter into a little more expansiveness in your own heart. It was washing over me, so it was kind of kind of interesting. But uh, and so it almost instantly felt like it maybe changed my own concept of what it means to be free. But in thinking about it recently, I've I've come to feel like freedom of movement, freedom of choice, and freedom of voice all feel like freedom to me, at least from an intellectual perspective, from a thinking perspective. And that just means that I can go wherever I want to go. Um, I can do whatever I want to do and I can say whatever I want to say. So that feels like freedom to me and it's tied into money. And that's Mm -hmm. something I'm interested in getting your perspectives on as well. I don't know how, I don't know how I can truly feel free 
and maybe this is a spiritual conundrum. Maybe mm-hmm. this is, you know, I need to finish reading um, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl, because, you know, or Nelson Mandela. I mean, I think I know intellectually that freedom comes from within first, that it's really not about where I can move my body. And at the same time, the truth is, I currently feel the freest when I can go wherever I want to go, when I can do whatever I want to do. And that means choosing my work. Um, when people talk about retiring or not working, or if I won the lottery and had $300 million, would I just go sit on a beach? Not for very long. Right. I'd be bored as fuck sitting on a beach after a couple of weeks. I'd feel like the biggest loser in the world, no matter how much money I had. Mm-hmm. So I want to do something, but I want to be able to choose what that thing is that I do. And freedom of voice is huge because I have been in circumstances at companies and in situations where I really couldn't or let's just say I believed that I couldn't or didn't have the power to really speak mm-hmm. my truth, to really say my truth. And I found that like it, uh, that was a prison for me of, of one kind or another mm-hmm. to just feel like I can't be my authentic self. I can't speak my truth. That certainly doesn't feel free to me. Right. So like screaming at Jim Brewer last night for making me wait for an hour felt like freedom. <laughs> I, I can say whatever I want to Jim Brewer. I'm yeah. going to call him on, yeah. on it. Um, yeah. That feels really disrespectful to me that you made your time that yeah. much more important than mine when I paid for your time. Right. And there was a money factor, right? You yeah. paid for his time. That's right. He offered to pay me back. He's like, how much was it? How much was it? I'll pay you back, you know, mm, yeah. which was nice. And I said, uh, you know, it's not about the money. I feel disrespected. And that was the main thing. But in retrospect, I wish I would have said, here's my Venmo. <laughs> I will take the money back because that is a factor. Because if I hadn't paid anything, I couldn't have, I wouldn't have felt licensed to feel disrespected. Anyway, right. um, so freedom, freedom of movement, freedom of choice, freedom of voice. The feeling to me just feels like, well, I'll say where I felt the least free in my life was times where I worked for companies that I did not feel in sync with in terms of values. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a real estate company that I worked for for a while in Santa Barbara. And man, after a few months, I felt like I almost, I wanted to drive into a bridge abutment. Mm -hmm. It just felt, I felt so claustrophobic. Part of that's a personality flaw and or flair mm. on my part in that I just I have a really hard time with routine a really really hard yeah. time with routine and going into this thing it felt like they took the worst of government and brought it to the private oh, sector with this painful. company you know um, but oh my gosh that was torturous for me um, working for somebody else whose values I didn't feel aligned with um, and having to do a routine day after day mm-hmm. that was the antithesis of freedom to me yeah but I wouldn't say that the opposite of that for me is 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 either sitting, you know, being out in a desert forever or camping. Mm-hmm. That's fun for a while. Yeah, that's amazing for a week or two. But ultimately, it feels freer to take some responsibility for something, to do something mm-hmm. good or productive for the world. And it feels like that's built into us as human beings. Like right. we're this builder race, and yeah. it's it's like. Something in me feels like it has to be creating yeah. something yeah. or it's not really going to feel ultimately happy or free. And I've been, this has come up for me in the past few weeks because I, I like negentropic systems, generative systems. And someone was talking about how entropy, in order to 
re, uh, reduce the amount of decay, you have to add energy into the system. And so we're... To reduce decay. Yeah, the entropic decay. You have to add energy. Energy. So like if, like if something's spinning, I need to add energy to help keep yeah. it spinning. There's no perpetual motion machine. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, in our own little way, we have these spinning plates and these objects that we're adding energy, consciousness which in itself, there's some data to show that um, it creates a, an effect on an object. Um, and so it's like, okay, what are we energizing? So that also feels like part of freedom. Like, what are we paying attention to and mm. adding our life force energy? Mm. And so when, it's, when I feel captivated by something, captive, am I free? Right, so I'm like I'm adding energy to this system. It's giving me a chemical response. Oh God, I can't look. Oh, whoop, next one, and start the cycle again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I guess that's kind of a little tangent. But I was I was just kind of like thinking, like mulling over, like okay, why is it that we want to build all these things? Like why is it that Elon Musk wants to buy Twitter? And then just told Bob Iger to go fuck himself. Did you see that? Yeah, that was dude. incredible. That was epic. Yeah. <laughs> I missed it. What happened? Oh. Good. Okay. So, well, so he's doing this interview. I don't know who he's interviewing with. And he's wearing his... New phone. York Times, I think. Oh, yeah, it's it New York yeah. Times, of course. And um, basically, the reporter is trying to get Elon to apologize in a roundabout, like a, a tour of apologies or something like this. And he's like, are you kidding me? Like, he's basically blackmailing me on my own free speech on my platform. He can go fuck himself. Mm. And that felt like, so I've had my own visions of Elon, like a lemur leading people off a cliff. So I'm not 100% there with him. But I do respect actions like that. I'm like, that is an example of free speech. Like, go fuck yourself. You're trying to manipulate me? Yeah. No, you're the asshole. Yeah. Out of here. And he's talking to the head of Disney, and he, mm. who he names by name at one point. He says, "Do you hear me, Bob?" Yeah. yeah. Are you in the audience, Bob? <laughs> yeah. Because it was it well, was done in a genteel or a respectful enough way, which I think is the key, because that is part of the responsibility of freedom. Well, it's in response in, to blackmail, according to him. And I don't know. I'm curious if you know some of those. Well, yeah, he's, ta- he's talking about taking out ad dollars in order to modify his message. Disney, they, Disney's yeah. threatening to pull out ad dollars unless... Unless X, Y, Z, right? So it doesn't matter unless, right? Uh-huh. Like, the unless part is none of their business. Right. Like, here's my platform. You know how I operate. Right. I say what comes to me right. because this is the town square. And Disney's saying, we'll give you advertising dollars, but we want a seat at the table. Exactly. We're going yeah. well, to tell you yeah, some of what you can and can't do. Right. So so Musk perceived that as blackmail. So it's kind of like that guy that was trying to hold you up, right? Yeah. I mean, his perception was black that he was being blackmailed. Right. And his response to that was, go fuck yourself. And that is Very the appropriate response. response. Yeah, <laughs> it is. You know, if you have, are willing, because there's a price, there's no doubt that Elon will pay a price. He said it could destroy Twitter. Because the guy asked him, don't you have a responsibility to your company, blah, blah, blah. And the shareholders. Yeah, and he literally him. says, it could destroy the company. Yeah. And the company could go away. But and, here's the it, thing. and we will document exactly yeah. who was responsible for that. And right. history will right. decide, you know. But the thing is, without that comment, 
it doesn't even exist. Without the freedom of speech, the core concept of that company, he would have betrayed its very core and it would have been a lie. That's right. Yeah. And so in order, it's like, it's, it's a, it's a do or die moment. It's like this, that is the apotheosis when you're looking at your enemy and like, yeah, you're stronger than me. You're going to fuck me up, but you're wrong. Right. Yeah, 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 I dig. Yeah. 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 That was kind of his Gandalf on the bridge moment. That was the Gandalf moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here's the, I mean, we can get into this because I, your response was like, you know, monitors on the politicians. Mm. My download, and I'm not saying that's your ultimate solution. Mm. That was just like a good temporary, you know, transparency measure. Yeah. But, you know, I started thinking about representatives. Why do I need someone to tell Washington, D.C. what I think? Mm Mm-hmm. I've got a cell phone. If I don't have a cell phone, I have an access to a computer, a public library. There's ways for a direct democracy to exist. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to start on a national level. Mm -hmm. It can happen in, you know, businesses, small communities. And um, so with verified users, right? That's the whole thing with X is like you have to get to the point where you. So you're saying instead of the representatives voting on that bill, we all vote on the bill. Right. And now if Coca-Cola wants to get something through, who do they have to impress? Yeah, they've got to lobby all of us. Lobby all of us. Which is, yeah. Which is great because it's, it's more difficult, but it's, anyways, it's appealing to the actual republic. The technology exists for that. I rem- now that you mentioned it, I think I remember hearing somebody talking about this idea like 20 years ago, back in the dot-com era. Right. Talking about this digital democracy yeah. that we were now going to have the ability to all cast our votes in real time. Yes. Even. Yeah. And now we have uh, like cryptocurrency. You could actually encrypt each vote. Because the problem is you both need to know that the vote exists and you need the privacy. So if someone wants to vote for whoever, they're not getting retribution for it. Right. And then the question becomes, you know, it's so messy because I worry that Coca-Cola would then be like, Great. We know we really know how to manipulate the public. You know, no no problem. You know, these these uh these governors were tricky, but you know, know. The, the general public, sure, we know how to get them. They can definitely manipulate us, but I don't know. I think decentralized power and control, yeah, for the most part tends yeah. to be better yeah. than centralized control. It's kind of the starfish and the spider concept right have you ever heard of that no the starfish and the spider is a great book it just talks about power and control systems and there's there's systems and cultures that are built like starfish i guess most starfish if you cut off one of the legs it just grows it back or it becomes some of them if you cut them in half they become two starfish right Mm. so you but a spider you cut its head off it's dead right and so cultures and organizations and power structures are generally set up like spider organizations right and so you know washington dc is the head of the spider yeah. And so that's why we're all captured by, you know, corporations own all of us right now because yeah. they own the head, which is Washington. So right. if we had more of a digital democracy, maybe we could have more of a starfish yeah. enterprise where it's 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 spread out. You can't kill it in any in any one place. Yeah. Mm. And it's I the think, whole concept of the Internet. That's right. why they create it is. Yeah, the and I think it's the logical 
progression. I'm not saying it's going to happen in the next 10, yeah. even 20 years, but it's, it's this thing that will start growing and gaining momentum because like you said, I think the key word is captured. Yeah. So the, it's, it's, a di- it's a different thing if we have politicians that are principled mm. and are actually have the benefit of their constituency. Yeah. But now they're just like blowing trillions of dollars. They're, they're like drunken sailors. It's, it's like, unbelievable. You have to give up the adopted child. Like let's say we're the adopted child mm. and like the parent like the the adopted parent is like maybe they got money whatever they're spending it they're like not looking out for their own good they're just like drinking beers with their buddies and like wait that was for the food Mm. for the child Mm. and like so I I think that it's gone off the rails oh they're so corrupt I was watching the senate hearing when Johnny came over I was watching the senate hearing on censorship Mm -hmm. that they did a second one of those yesterday and it's maddening to watch because there's two guys, Michael Schellenberger and Matt Taibbi, who are lifelong liberal Democrats. Right. And they're sitting in front of um, a Senate panel on censorship, talking about the specific censorship that the government did. Right. And in this case, the Republicans happen to be on the right side of history. Now, I'm not saying that I don't know why. Right. I, I tend to feel like a broken clock is right tw- <laughs> yeah, twice a day. day. And in, in Washington, it's like one of the parties happens to be right yeah. on, on an, any given issue. Exactly. Mm. They probably even trade like, okay, this time yeah. you'll be the sensible one. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like I, but I, but I do, it's just a fact that Republicans are the ones that are standing up more now for free speech. And the Democrats, on that panel are just eating the witnesses alive. They're so disrespectful. They turned the whole thing into um, into an admonishment of Donald Trump, the Democrats. So they won't wow. even talk about the issue right. of censorship. These are the leaders of wow. our country. Yeah. And they won't even talk about, hey, the first, the first, we're concerned about the yeah. First Amendment in yeah. our country and the government overstepped the lines. Shouldn't you be concerned about that, mm-hmm. whether you're Democrat? Right. But they turn it into a partisan issue. Because yeah. they're trying to get votes. They're like, Trump, Trump. So they know that people are traumatized by, like, there's their constituencies, tra- the people that voted for them hate Trump. Yeah. So it's like, if this is my, t- this is free press, mm-hmm. right? So I'm going to use this as my next election campaign. Yeah. They're not focused on the issue. Literally not. I mean, it's yeah. so, it's like, a, if it weren't so serious, it would be laughable. It's right. like a Saturday Night Live skit. Hmm, sure. Like we're talking about censorship. So what do you think about this issue of censorship? Donald Trump is a horrible person. And if he gets back in office, he's going to destroy the country and the world. Right. So mm. that's, okay, that's why but, they think they need to censor is because it's somewhat connected, right? So it's like, they're afraid that free speech will lead to quote unquote hate speech and then hate speech this gets back into Kant Immanuel Kant right so we're like we're into like thought crime territory mm-hmm. like ooh if you dare think about this like you're a horrible person and you can't be a citizen you know like you're not a part of the reasonable republic mm. and um, so yeah, it's, it's just a very interesting uh, piece there that yeah. you there but, but the it's quote so- I like for that is um the reasonable man adapts to society. The unreasonable one persists in uh, trying to adapt society to themselves. Mm. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. Mm. Um, yeah, which just but but that's if you're in power, then you don't want that. You know, you well, you're yeah. like, no, we're good. You yeah. know, lock it down. Yeah. Um, 
Well, and it's like, well, try having a potluck and having a vegan. They're very unreasonable. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually, the, these potlucks pretty much come become vegan. And I love my vegan friends. I've finally like made peace with that because I was a vegan and then I wasn't. It's like, oh, this whole thing. But yeah, the unreasonable uh, man, yeah. man, woman. Maybe. So what is this? Do, do we have to? So we all go vegan then. Is that the, is that what happens? Well, we'll look at it. Like, I mean, you're looking at WEF. You're looking at these policies. Yeah. And the and the funny part was, it it went from like probably like compassion. Yeah. And then they tried the health angle. Yeah. Like people like me were like having failing health because we need fat. I'm mm. from Nordic blood, whatever Celtic. <laughs> we need fat. Um, and then you go into um, now it's profitable. Mm. They like for a pound of that impossible meat. How mm. much? What's the margin mm. on that? And then it's like, oh right, right. wait, th- wait, there's money in this. Mm. Oh, we're gonna dump millions into PETA, millions into all these uh, lifestyle magazines, mm. and then it becomes becomes contrived. Mm. The original people that were into like healthy gardening mm. and compassionate living. Mm. I love and respect that. Mm. Now, when you talk about ideology, you know, and pushing that as a way of making money, mm. then it becomes completely phony mm-hmm. and like hollow and mm. then trying to take away people's freedom. And then now you're trying to eat them, feed them crickets or something. Isn't yeah. that funny though? It's like, is that how progress happens? Ooh, it's like normalization after the, uh, you know, some good intentions, some good change, and then and then the the vultures swoop in. Yeah, yeah. I am gonna have to uh, put a yeah. bow on. This it. is a good yeah. place to wrap it up. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. If and when we continue, maybe we can go a little bit down. Maybe next time we can talk a little bit more about freedom in societies specifically. Sure. Yeah. You know, when it vis-a-vis what's happening with with free speech and what's happening in our culture and society and government. If that's something of interest to you, absolutely. Wonderful. Cool. Well, hey, thanks for getting together, you guys. Speaking of freedom, like this to me feels like freedom. Just to have the ability to sit down and have this conversation with the with the two of you guys. Absolutely. It feels like a little piece of freedom for me. And I think that's what it comes down to. Is like each day, how do we just become a little bit freer? podcast.